0: Our scripture this morning will be from Matthew chapter 5 verses 31 and 32 It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality Makes her the victim of adultery And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery Thanks, Jason. I do like that song, Mighty to Save, and God is mighty to save us. No matter who you are, no matter what your story is, God is mighty and strong enough and powerful enough and merciful enough to save us. And for that, we are thankful. I'm thankful you're here today. Several years ago, when I was doing some of my master's work in ministry at OC, I had a very unique assignment. And the assignment was to spend some time observing family court. So a buddy and I went down to the Oklahoma City courthouse and we sat in the gallery there and we just watched and we listened and we learned. And I gotta say, I probably learned more about ministry and marriage and life and people in that courtroom than I did in many classrooms I was in. I think the idea was that it would make me a better minister, that it would make me more empathetic, that it would help me understand people better certainly understand the legal system involved in divorce and family court but to really see the heart behind and let's be honest some of the hurt behind divorce and the things that happen in that courtroom and I remember sitting there and just hearing stories from husbands and wives or their lawyers about betrayal and disappointment and love lost and and just on and on and I remember hearing them Bicker and bargain over stuff, who got what, and and very specific stuff. Stuff in the house, furniture, vehicles, even pets. And of course, if there were kids involved, to talk about custody and making those very difficult decisions about that. And as I watched and listened and learned, I remember thinking that what is unfolding in front of me, these conversations, these decisions, they are forever changing the trajectory of these people's lives, but not just their lives, the children's lives, and loved ones, and relatives, and people in, in their own world of influence. What an impact those decisions make. And the overwhelming feeling I had from the room, from the people there, as case after case approached this judge, the overwhelming feeling was one of loss just tremendous loss you see that's the nature of divorce that's the nature of splintered marriages and fractured families it's it's lost because you lose so much and everyone loses no matter what the story some of you know that all too well some of you have walked through those trying days and seasons of divorce and if not you certainly probably someone that you know someone you care about has gone through that and I want you to know this morning as we talk about divorce I want to be incredibly sensitive to your pain someone asked me this week what are you preaching on Sunday I said divorce and they said why did you choose that <laughs> I said I didn't Jesus did And as we go through the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus teaching the people on that hillside, that mountainside, we follow Jesus and we listen to Jesus. Last week we talked about lust. This week we're talking about divorce. Jesus didn't shy away from the difficult topics and nor should we. And so it's important for us to see what Jesus has to say about this important issue. But I think it's also important to acknowledge that this issue, the issue of divorce, the issue of marriage, the issue of family, it's, it's just deeply embedded in emotion. I understand that. Obviously, Jesus understood that. And yet, it's so important that we talk about God's desire, God's will, God's design. It's so important that we have a biblical framework for talking about divorce, because if we only use our feelings and if we only use our opinions, we only use what we hear and see from the media, it's going to be very easy for us to get off track. You see, those things are biased. Those things cloud our judgment and cloud what is good and what is true. And so we need to see what Jesus has to say on the subject. Jesus addressed divorce at least four times that we know about. Here in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, also in Matthew 19, when the Pharisees come and confront him with a question. In Mark chapter 10, there's another discussion by Jesus on the, on the uh, topic. And then in Luke chapter 16, one very brief statement by Jesus. And of course, later in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the Apostle Paul addresses divorce in a larger context of purity and marriage and singleness and uh, sexual sin and some other things that he is addressing probably probably very specific questions that he has received from the church in Corinth. And our purpose this morning is not to give an exhaustive treatment of the issue of divorce and what the Bible has to say. I recommend that you do that, though, that you spend time in all of these passages and some of the Old Testament passages and that, that you really study this and that you with the help of the Holy Spirit, form a theology of marriage and divorce and remarriage. This morning, our purpose is to see what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount and to see what he was truly getting at as he aims at people's hearts. We've been saying that throughout this series that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is aiming at the heart. Yes, the actions, the outward behaviors are important, but if the inward heart isn't fixed on God if the heart isn't set in a place of integrity that truly wants to please God and and seeks righteousness from within then those outward behaviors matter very little and so whatever the topic is whatever the subject is Jesus aims right at the heart And as we have said all along Jesus wants internal heart transformation not just external behavior modification and so Jesus addresses a topic that was very relevant for his day and certainly very relevant for our day. Matthew chapter 5, verse 31, Jesus says, It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus follows a very similar pattern that he's used throughout this sermon by citing a law, a part of the law of Moses that his Jewish audience knows well. But he doesn't just reinforce it. He says, let me give you the heart behind that law. Let me tell you what God's intentions are with that law. Again, it's not just to shape what you do. It's to shape who you are, your heart from the inside out. And so he does the same thing when he talks about divorce. Here he's talking specifically in reference to Deuteronomy chapter 24. His Jewish audience would know what he's talking about. And when he begins talking about this certificate of divorce, they would know exactly what he meant. Let's look at the passage in Deuteronomy chapter 24 very quickly. Remember, this is the law of Moses. This is Moses leading Israel, God's chosen people, helping them know how to live life in community, how to live life in ways that please God, separate from the world. And so we read these words. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house, and if after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from from his house, or if he dies... Then her first husband, who divorced her, is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Very long sentence there. Very much a run-on sentence. And it's sort of hard to track with what, okay, Moses, what are you saying exactly? We will try to get everything in place here. But one thing is obvious by just this short passage that when sin entered the picture at the garden, that it launched humankind on this path of brokenness, of sinfulness, and basically messed up everything that God created that was so good. Do you remember God created something? He said, it's good, it's good. And because we choose in our freedom to rebel against God, things aren't so good. And certainly we do that when it comes to marriage. God never desired divorces for any reason, but it was happening in Israel. So in an effort to protect the women and to possibly reduce the number of frivolous divorces, God makes a concession but he requires a man who wants a divorce and in that context it would be very difficult for it to be the reverse side of that for the women but he allows a man who wants a divorce to write what is called a certificate of divorce and this certificate of divorce frees his former wife which becomes an advantage for her socially and financially moving forward but Not surprisingly, this certificate of divorce became a loophole for some people who didn't take their marriage vows seriously. People who viewed their marriage as a prison, now all of a sudden God's giving them a get-out-of-jail-free card. All right. And that's how many of them treated it. And so by the time Jesus comes along, there is great debate about this certificate of divorce. What justified giving someone one of these certificates? What qualified as displeasing that would justify divorce in God's eyes? There was great debate about this. And during Jesus' day, there were basically two different camps led by two different Jewish rabbis. One was named Hillel, and he took more of a broad interpretation of what it meant to be displeasing in marriage. And he was an advocate for anything that the woman, the wife did, that the husband didn't like, he could divorce her. So if she couldn't have children, if she spoke disrespectfully to him or to his parents, even if she burned supper, then he was justified in sending her on her way. But there was another camp led by a different Jewish rabbi, Shemaiah. And he said, no, it's more specific than that. You can't divorce your wife for any and every reason. What is displeasing is adultery and adultery only. And so this debate on what does it mean to be displeasing in marriage serves as a wonderful backdrop for Matthew chapter 19 when the Pharisees come to confront Jesus with this question about the certificate of divorce. Matthew 19 verse 3 some Pharisees came to him, Jesus, to test him. Let me just stop there for a minute. I think it's important for us to understand why they are coming to Jesus with their question. It's not that they have someone among them. It's not that they have a loved one. It's not that one of them is struggling in his marriage and they're concerned and they want to minister to this person and they're really concerned about what Jesus thinks and Jesus, help us, help us through this. Help us understand what we should do. That's not it at all. They came to test Jesus. If we can just get Jesus to say something he shouldn't say, if he can contradict the law, if he can make himself look bad, then we can put him away. So that's their motive. They asked Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Jesus, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh? So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Well, they're not satisfied with that answer. Verse 7, Why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard but it was not this way from the beginning I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery you see this entire conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees the whole concept of a certificate of divorce I would say even Paul's applications of some of these sexual ethics in his day and time in that context all of these things speak to the challenge the difficulty of applying God's perfect plan in a very imperfect world you see these situations divorce family conflict these things are often complex nuanced And let's be honest, messy. And the purpose of the divorce certificate and the purpose of Paul's discussion in 1 Corinthians chapter seven was to mitigate some of the damage caused by divorce. That's why God steps in. It's clearly seen by how Jesus responds. Do you remember they asked him, why did Moses command a certificate of divorce? And Jesus says, wait a second, Moses permitted Two different words. Moses, God, didn't order it. He allowed it. Why would he allow it? Jesus says, because of the hardness of your hearts. Because you are flawed people. Because trying to do God's perfect plan for marriage in this imperfect world gets messy. Sin and selfishness and struggle have damaged God's original design for marriage. And so what does Jesus do? He calls them back. He calls us back to God's good intentions for marriage. You see, to understand God's desire for marriage, you don't need to go to Deuteronomy. You need to go back more than that. You need to go to Genesis. And that's what Jesus does. Because that's where we see God's vision for marriage. There's no certificate There's no exception, no gray areas, no loopholes, really no possibility, literally no possibility in the very beginning. I mean, when Adam said to Eve, you're the only girl in the world for me, it was literal. (laughs) That was God's design. And that's what Jesus calls us back to, back to the beginning, how God made male and female and designed them to complement each other, joining together by God in this marriage forming this oneness according to the Bible this oneness that was meant to be permanent meant to be a reflection of God's covenant relationship with his people marked by faithfulness and love and even sacrifice and so that's why Jesus says in verse 6 of Matthew 19 they are no longer two but one flesh therefore what God has joined together. Let no one, let nothing separate. You see, marriage is not primarily a societal contract. It is a divine covenant. If I go to the county clerk's office in Oklahoma County, somewhere in there, and I don't know if they are actually physical books or if it's just in the computer system, but I am registered as an officiant. I can do weddings in Oklahoma. And so there is a certain book, and there's a certain page in that certain book where my name is, it's my credentials. And when I officiate a wedding, at the end of that wedding, they bring out the marriage license. The photographer comes over, and the best man comes over, and maid of honor comes over, and they sign the piece of paper, and, and I sign that piece of paper as well, and I put my book and my page number on that piece of paper. And the state of Oklahoma gets that piece of paper, and they say, okay, This looks all legitimate. This couple is married. But marriage is so much more than that. It's not just a societal contract so the state of Oklahoma or the U.S. will recognize us as husband and wife. Jesus says God joins husband and wife together. And I don't think that necessarily means that God has pre-selected someone as your soulmate and your job is to go out into this vast world and find that person. I think it means when a man and a woman led by God decide to join together in marriage that it is God who is joining them in marriage they are married and made one first and foremost by God and if God is behind it we should do everything we can to preserve it you see God's vision for marriage is one man and one woman for life Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus had said has called them and said some, th- some things that are very countercultural. There may be none more countercultural, even in our day, than this statement. <laughs> Unfortunately, when we say something like that, like that statement on the screen, it sounds like a political statement, doesn't it? Now all of a sudden it has all this political baggage with it. That is so unfortunate. This is not a political statement. This is truth from God's word about God's plan for us. We defend God's design for marriage in a culture that constantly attacks it and offers alternatives to it, and we should. But I wonder, are we demonstrating God's design for marriage with the same amount of passion and energy with which we defend it? You see, maybe one of the best arguments for God's design of marriage is Christians doing it like we should and showing the world what it looks like, standing out from marriages in the world. Not that our marriages are perfect. We all know that. But we recognize that we are joined together by God, that marriage sustains love, not love sustains marriage. But the reality is we live in a fallen world and we are victims ourselves and participants ourselves in this fallen world. Satan is attacking our marriages and our families, sin and selfishness. They are his weapons and they cause tremendous damage in our homes. And so Jesus speaks of an exception to God's vision for marriage. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew five, he says except for sexual immorality, Confronted with the Pharisees in Matthew 19, he says, except for sexual immorality. Jesus makes this allowance for divorce if there is sexual immorality. Now granted, he doesn't say that you must divorce. That's important. If there's been sexual infidelity, you don't have to divorce. In fact, in many cases, I think God would prefer reconciliation and forgiveness As husbands and wives model God's relationship even to Israel, who was constantly unfaithful to him. But when that's not possible, he provides this way out. And so the question then becomes, okay, what is sexual immorality? What is Jesus talking about there? The original word in the Greek is the word porneia. Obviously, that's where we get the word pornography. But for his first century Jewish audience, what they heard wasn't necessarily pornography. What they heard was a whole host of sexual sins. Anything that was against the Old Testament law, which would include incest, prostitution, homosexuality, and really any other sexual sin that contradicted the law of Moses. When the oneness of God's design has been compromised by one or both parties in the marriage. Now, we don't have time to look at it in depth, but later in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul will give another exception as he talks about divorce. He will say, if there is an unbelieving spouse who sends away or divorces a believing spouse, then the believing spouse is no longer bound to that marriage. Sexual immorality, desertion by an unbelieving spouse exceptions given by Jesus and Paul respectively someone says okay I understand that but what about other situations what about abuse what about neglect what about addiction what about when your spouse just leaves you what about when he or she is doing things to weaken and compromise and even destroy the marriage covenant then what Remember I said this issue is complicated and it can get messy. But first I would say anyone in an abusive situation should remove themselves immediately from that situation to get the necessary help and support. To some of these other questions, I would say, this is me, I would say you need to spend a lot of time in prayer and Bible study. You need to spend a lot of time on your knees in prayer, humbly asking God for wisdom. And, and this is important, that you would seek the counsel of your shepherds under which you have placed your life, your soul, your shepherds, and ask them to walk with you through these types of decisions, through this difficult path. Because it is a difficult path. Divorce and divorce recovery are very difficult paths marked by repentance and confession and prayer. But you know what? The path of marriage is sometimes difficult, isn't it? It's also a path of repentance and confession and prayer. You see, in marriage, we are joined by God for the glory of God. That's God's design, that is his purpose. And that is what we should seek to be and to do. Last night I had another opportunity to sit with a group of people and watch a couple. But this couple wasn't fighting, they weren't at odds. They were getting married. Carrie Ann and I went to a wedding last night of of a young lady who's one of her students. It was a beautiful ceremony. And as I watched, and as I listened, I had such high hopes and prayers for this couple. Like all of us, they don't know what the future holds. Certainly there will probably be difficult times. And yet just as I sat in that courtroom watching a couple change forever, the trajectory of their lives and the lives of the people around them last night, we watched the same thing. What they did in front of that crowd would forever change the course of their lives. And not just their lives, but the lives of people around them. See, they are seeking to please God. They are seeking to be joined together by God for the glory of God. And so we end on that note. Jesus called his listeners back to God's original plan. And I think that's what we should do. Call us back to God's original plan. There's a great little book written by John Piper called This Momentary Marriage. It's a wonderful little book that I highly recommend. But I want to share a quote with you as he gives perspective on marriage, your actual physical marriage. He says, you know what? It doesn't really last that long. It's just sort of a glimpse into eternity. And so this quote gives us perspective on our marriages he says very soon the shadow will give way to reality the troubled path will end in paradise this momentary marriage will be swallowed up by life to that end may God give us eyes to see what matters most in this life may the Holy Spirit whom he sends make his crucified and risen son the supreme treasure of our lives and may that treasure So satisfy our souls that the root of every marriage-destroying impulse is severed. And may the marriage-watching world be captivated by the covenant-keeping love of Christ. We are joined by God for the glory of God. That is God's vision for marriage. Unfortunately, we sometimes fall short of that. And maybe as you listen to this sermon, more importantly, as you listen to Jesus' words this morning, maybe you realize that you need to make some changes if you're married in your marriage. The temptation is to say, well, yeah, my wife or my husband, they need to do this or that differently. What about you? Is God's call on you and on your life right now for you to make some changes in your marriage and what you do and say and how you do and say it? Are you looking for a way out? Are you looking to destroy the covenant or are you looking to preserve it? Maybe you need to make some changes. Maybe you need to seek forgiveness. Ask your spouse to forgive you. Maybe you need to forgive your spouse. Or maybe you have walked or are currently walking that difficult path of divorce. And if you've never spent time in confession and repentance, in prayer God is calling you to do that you know Jesus didn't describe divorce as an unforgivable sin there is hope there is healing there is forgiveness there is mercy and it can be yours maybe this morning God is calling you to reach out to someone around you or to reach out to him let me remind you in just a moment as we stand to sing this song a couple of our shepherds and their wives will be in the parlor which is a room right behind me feel free to slip out and make your way over there and maybe this would be a great time to spend time in prayer with some of our shepherds and their wives obviously you can come down front we would love to support you and pray for you And, and maybe it has nothing to do with your marriage we would still love to pray over you and support you Or maybe today you're ready to give your life to Christ. I think we have a young man who's ready to do that, and we're so excited for him, but maybe there's someone else. You're ready to be baptized into Christ and begin that walk with Jesus, enter into that covenant relationship with him. If we can help you in some way, we invite you to come as we stand and sing. We are so thrilled that... Brady Owens has come forward this morning, ready to be baptized into Christ, and he brought his own fan club with him. Sitting down here, this is a wonderful family, and we're so proud of him, and I know his family's proud of him. His dad, Rick, is going to take his confession, and then we'll go upstairs and baptize him.
1: So, I'll say I am biased, but this is a great young man. We're really proud of him. I'm proud of him. I know uh, God is proud of him as well. Brady's been coming to church since he was a baby. He's been through all the nursery classes here, all the preschool classes here, all the elementary classes here. Now he's in the youth ministry. Um, He's learned a lot, uh, but knowing uh, without conviction doesn't get you anywhere. Uh, This last week he went to a church camp, uh, as he does every year. Uh, He got convicted. During that week, uh, he came home and said, mom dad I I want to get baptized and so we spent some time talking about that Uh, Lori gave him some verses to read we talked about it some more Uh, we we asked him again Brady do you want to get baptized and if so when he said this Sunday morning so we're here so we're happy for him Brady I have some questions for you do you believe that Jesus is the son of God and he died for your sins yes I do let me ask you one more Why, why do you want to be baptized today I want everyone to know what my beliefs are and that I'm a Christian. Based upon that confession, we're going to go upstairs and baptize him.